1: We're recording this on uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, um, and you might have spent some time online today seeing various uh, brands and other people uh, put their foot in in their mouth, or so to speak, um, though I just kind of put my foot in my own mouth with that (laughs) analogy, but um, where people that probably shouldn't be uh, posting about Martin Luther King when they themselves do things that are against what he stood for. Uh, it was a very common thing. It went on all day. Um, But the one I want to talk about briefly uh, is U.S. soccer opting to do that. Um, And it's not so much about them sending a bad tweet. It's the policy that makes that tweet bad. Um, I feel like U.S. soccer should strive towards the ideas that Martin Luther King uh, strove towards uh, during his life. Um, But when you have a stated rule that says that players are not allowed to engage in a nonviolent protest, um, you kind of aren't in a position to start talking about how much you think, how highly you think of the main nonviolent protester in American history. Um, and I know a lot of people called them out for it. Um, but for me, it's more about like that, that the policy of, uh, banning players and I, I don't even know exactly what their plan is to what the consequence would even be. So it's not even even if you wanted to write a ban like that, it's not even implemented in an intelligent manner. Um but also you shouldn't want that in the first place. The players should be allowed to speak their mind. This is uh an American ideal uh is to have that freedom of expression and to restrict it and then to still put push yourself towards no 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 we're we're representing these ideals. Um we're, we're big fans of, of those uh, ideals, and it's like, well, no, you're not. You have a rule that specifically says you can't do that. Um, it has been grating on me all day long, and so I'm glad that I have a, a platform in which I can uh, can speak on it a little bit without just yelling into the void of uh, the internet. Though you I know, guess a place where you, where you can, can do this so
0: nonviolently express your displeasure with Disappoint- a certain policy yes. by a, an organization that wields power.
1: Yes, and an organization that really didn't need to go that way um and now i think stands uh i mean yeah. to there be are clear other the policy, that,
0: to be clear, the policy you're you're referring to is the ban on u s national team players when representing the United states uh yes. kneeling during the national anthem
1: right um Which and is, is it's it's not it's not an ideal policy at all, um, especially given that these players are maybe taking us to task for not living up to the ideals that the the country stands for. So they're if anything, they're trying to get us to do better uh, as a country, which I kind of think is an important thing when you think about athletics is trying to do better at the sport you're playing. It's it's a it's a principle that applies uh, in both directions. And uh, yeah, it's hasn't been a great uh year or so for u.s soccer uh on a lot of fronts and that's that's one of them where they really just have made a mistake that they every day they could
2: you know they could resolve that and you know here we are can i use some internet weirdness to transition from this very uh weighty topic into our uh banal show are you gonna or is it a drill tweet No, it is, I don't know, something that somehow got copy and pasted into the Google search bar in my phone browser. All right. Homeopathy plus whole body vibration when two medicines, when two energy medicines ignite healing.
0: I was really hoping there was going to be an equals there and, you know, it was going to say bullshit.
2: I mean... Yeah, (laughs) much like much like U.S. Soccer's policy, uh, whole body vibration healing is also bullshit.
0: There it is. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. As per usual, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, (laughs) we're all from blackandredunited.com. We like to talk about D.C. United, uh, and that's what we're doing tonight. Before we get to that, though, we have a little uh, tradition here. It goes like this. Ben, what are you drinking?
2: So off air, we decided, well, kind of decided that uh, 2018 was going to be uh, the year of wine on uh, filibuster. And so I'm finally getting into the year of wine by drinking uh, a bottle that I got at uh, my local Aldi. I am drinking their Bridge Road Pinot Noir, and it's fine. I, I-, I think I'm kind of over Pinot Noir. I should have gotten a Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, which is my uh, favorite red ro- red wine, commonly available red wine. Um, if I had my druthers and every place sold all the kinds of wines that I wanted, I would go more with a Chamberson, but... It's fine.
0: My favorite is Chateauneuf du Pape. I learned that it's delicious. It's from the southern part of France. It's, it's so good. It it it's a varietal I've never had a a really bad uh-huh. bottle of. But
2: yep, I'm, I'm the same with Chamberson. I've never had a bad Chamberson.
0: Uh I, I'm not drinking wine. It was Ben who decided that it was the year. I thought of it wine. was
2: Jason. I thought that was also Jason.
0: My memory says it was Ben. Anyway, I'm. <laughs> I, I had a I had a long damn day today, um, and a long damn weekend. I'm not going to lie. And I'm, uh, capping it off with some, uh, Rock Creek rye, just neat, uh, from one eight distilling here in DC. It's, it's a good rye. It is very spicy and, uh, w- what I need to get through this show, um, all right, Especially need is a strong words. word. Need is a strong word. I don't need it. It it is helping me relax to get through this show because I'm wound pretty tight at the moment. Jason, save me from myself. What are you drinking?
1: Uh, I will. I, before I I say what I'm drinking, I would just like to note that. The the wine that I want the most in this world is Cisco uh, fortified wine. It is a flavor called Red, <laughs> and if you find it, please contact me immediately because apparently it makes you like almost hallucinate from the amount of Red Number Five that's in it. And it's a fortified wine, and it's cheap. It's Does trash. it also
2: have caffeine in it? Uh,
1: no, it's not Buckfast. Um, Buckfast is like, its own genre. This is more of a bum wine than a uh a, a Buckfast. Oh, this is like Mad Dog.
2: Or uh, yes. Boone's Farm? This is a
1: competitor with Mad Dog. Um, Boone's Farm is a little too classy for Cisco no, Red. No, no. Wait, 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 nobody wait.
2: has ever said no. that word.
1: Boone's Farm that is what work. freshmen drink am, in the dorms. You guys are talking to me like I don't know what people drink when they want to be stupid and trashed. And I'm telling you that Boone's Farm is a step above
0: <laughs> Cisco
1: Red. So, if you find Cisco Red, please let me know uh, where to find it. In the meantime... Uh, I have a more civilized uh, beverage i have um I went over to Gordon Beersh with my growler and got a uh growler full of their winter bock and I am drinking that and it's uh pretty good all
0: right we got kind of a uh a sparse agenda today because uh nothing is happening since our last show. no real news in in the land of d c united has has really happened. Uh, the, the closest thing to news is, uh, one uh, is Gonzalo Verón not happening. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. Reports out of Argentina are that he is going to be signing with a club down there. DC United, of course, selected his rights in the reentry draft from the New York Red Bulls, where he had been, uh, a, a designated player at one point, um, it was always kind of a long shot that he was going to re-sign in MLS with any team. Um, DC United made him an offer. It sounded like he thinks he can get more money or would be happier abroad. And good luck to him. Uh, he won't be playing for the Red Bulls next year, so you know, there's always that.
2: Yes, yeah. and well,
0: then, I mean, no, go ahead, Ben.
2: I think a lot of why. DC United fans are mad about Verone not getting signed is just because it was a thing. It was a new signing. But Gonzalo Verone himself was always going to be a gamble. He was never excellent for uh, the New York Red Bulls. It's not like he's Ola Kamara, which DC United is hopefully... Hopefully Dave Casper is burning up the lines to Columbus to try and acquire Ola Kamara. But he's not that. He's never had a really successful, solid string of three months, six months, a full season of performing well at an MLS level. So I'm not that broken up that he's not coming to DC D- DC United. It would have been fine if he did come to the team, if they had been able to sign him, but I'm not that broke up about it.
1: And, you know, I, I think it's important to note that Provided they did make a bona fide offer per MLS rules, they retain his rights. If he wants to come back to MLS, if his uh, move to the rumor is uh, Cologne in, in Argentina, if that move doesn't pay off them, he can always come back and he would either have to come to DC or find um, another team that wants him. And that team would ha- would have to make a deal to uh, bring him in. Um, which is again, it's not the ideal uh, situation. That's not really how it's supposed to work, but that's how MLS rules are set up. Um, so it could down the road be uh, of some benefit.
0: Not um, unlike probably won't be, not but unlike the Perry Kitchen situation um, we talked about last week, Kitchen is going to the LA Galaxy. Right. The Galaxy paid DC United three hundred thousand dollars in various yes. types of allocation money to secure his rights from United, who had made kitchen a bona fide offer.
1: Right. Um, And, you know, I I don't think I don't think we're going to see Verone back in MLS, uh, but you never know. Um, It's not the worst position to be in. Um, I'm sure that the team thought, you know, here's one more guy that could be a winger forward. But um, with Darren Maddox in the fold, I don't know that there's necessarily a need for another uh, slashing left winger or striker type. They aren't exactly the same type of player by any mean, but it means, but, um, they both do kind of do their work from the same spots on the field. And we knew that Olsen isn't going to be playing a five foot eight, uh, run the channels guy up front by himself. And that's what Verone is. So, um, it was more of a, let's see if we can take a flyer on this talented player and see if it works and it didn't work. So, you know, there's no harm in taking the flyer. They didn't lose anything. Um, other than the opportunity to pick from a pretty sparse list of uh, players. the If I'm not mistaken, after Verone went off the board, I think one more player got picked uh, in the re-entry draft. It was really like everyone was like, this is not a great group of players. We're not interested. Well, and especially uh, since
2: free agency started, the a lot of players that would have been picked from in the re-entry draft are now free agents. And so, like, Steven betisher would have been mm-hmm. picked in the re-entry draft, but he's a free agent oh, yeah. now.
1: Um, and by the way, it's... Pretty disappointing that there was no d c united is is pursuing Steven Bates rumor. we'll get to that we'll get to that, yeah, um this is just a year's long thing that I've said that the team should do right this is probably the last this is probably the last occasion where it's going to be feasible in terms of his age anyway' um, is mostly sad to yeah be I mean, a hobby horse, yeah, pretty much um but like once once United signed uh David Osted, that was the end of any chance they were going to have Verone because. Ostead made it minus two in international spots. And we know that the reporting is that they've got green cards coming, but they've probably got two, which means though we have just enough to get under the uh, the limit. So there would have been no room for Verone anyway. So, um, you know, you take a flyer and it, they don't pan out, but you didn't lose anything. So it's not that big of a deal.
0: So given that, you know, there's no news to really break down, even though we did manage to spend what in the world was that?
2: That was the pod dog standing up and shaking her collar and now looking at me.
0: Good work, pod dog. Uh, My dogs are are locked up upstairs. Well, they're asleep.
2: Usually usually my dog goes upstairs, but we forgot to take her upstairs.
0: Good work, Bromley. Uh,
2: It It keeps the pod cats off of me.
0: That's fair. Although the pod cats are very endearing, as we all know. Yes. Given that there's no news and we don't want to just talk about Ben's pets all night. I mean, we do want to talk about Ben's pets, but we're not sure you all would keep listening if we did. We figured uh, tonight could be a bit of table setting for the rest of 2018. The MLS draft is this coming Friday. We'll, we'll have more on that next week, certainly. DC United's jersey drops on Friday as well. Um, by the time we record our next episode, players will have reported to the practice fields at RFK Stadium for the beginning of preseason, uh, medicals will be going on and and fitness did, testing. Did you guys know? It, it, so th-
1: this is. I am going to throw a, a random fact out. Um, one of the things that happens for preseason testing, uh, in terms of the medical exam, is a, a check from a dentist.
2: Really? That's
1: a a fairly standard thing because it's a a solid indicator of a player's overall health. You can uh, learn a lot by looking at people's teeth, apparently. Um, When Beckham uh, signed with the Galaxy, apparently one of the first things they did – or no, not with the Galaxy, with AC Milan. um, AC Milan has this um, incredibly advanced – or at least back in the day, it was incredibly advanced – sports testing department. And one of the first things that they did with him, they were like, you've been having some health problems – and they looked at his teeth and they're like, you need a little dental work. And they took care of whatever it was with his teeth. And the next season, he didn't have any injuries. And he was like, I feel like whatever they did might have actually had <laughs> something to do with the, the dental work, might have actually straightened me out in terms of the rest of my body. So what you're um, saying
2: is the fact that uh, uh, England hasn't won the World Cup since 1966 is because of their teeth? I don't know.
0: English people have bad teeth joke, but I dig it.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm sure their problems have more to do with a uh, backwards approach towards soccer and uh, some arrogance um, rather than the quality of their dentistry. Um, But yeah, uh, players get looked at, uh, they get their teeth checked over real quick uh, to see if they've got anything. You know, if you've got like an abscess, then you have probably got some other problems that need uh, addressing. So yeah.
0: Dentists. I I think you, what you're saying is get you a, Milanese dentist
1: yeah if, if you want to stop in at Milanello and, and um, just demand that their various Italian sports scientists uh, address your physical problems um, if you're convincing enough I guess they might get to work um, you, you might have to sell them on it uh, a little bit but if we have any listeners um, in, I
0: encourage our listeners to give it if a if we shot. have any listeners in northern Italy or who are visiting northern Italy please try this and um you know, don't get yourself arrested with your with, with any kind of persistence uh, in this project. But please try and and let us know how it goes. Yeah. And um,
1: we're not we're not legally advising you that you should try this. No, but we're, we're saying that it would be wink, entertaining wink, if you did. Which is not no no, winking. which is not legal advice. Stop winking. <laughs> no, these are serious winks. These aren't winks. No, like not bit, uh,
0: Yeah. Say no more. Say no more. So this week's show is going to be something of a, a table setting for for the rest of the year. In this first segment we're going to talk about a couple positions where we we think DC United needs to bring some warm bodies in if nothing else and in one of these positions in particular they there there's more than that needed. Uh, in the second segment we're going to going to um, throw some ideas at the wall and and think about some Different tactical permutations we could see from Ben Olsen this year. Um, two, three, five. Always, always two, three, five. It's always the right answer, yeah. and it always has been. Yeah. Except yeah. when the WM came in, then it was not the right answer, and that's why it died. Uh, let Let's take that the Gonzalo Veron non news and and look at the striker position because that is at the front of most DC United fans' minds. At the moment, it, it, at least it's at the front of my mind, and I assume it's at the front of many of theirs based on some of the comments we've seen on blackandredunited.com and and on DC United Twitter. Uh, we all know DC United was bad at scoring goals in 2017, um, and that's a bit of an understatement to Patrick Mullins. The worst. Yeah, literally <laughs> the worst. Patrick Mullins was injured had several times throughout the year, uh, scored five goals. Four of those came in one game, and what a game it was for him. Uh, but one of the reasons Gonzalo Verón, some fans kind of pinned their hopes on on his signing, even though he's not the big-name uh, acquisition anybody really wanted, is is that this team needs a striker, and they need a striker who can score goals and potentially compete – in the golden boot race. And that's why last week we spent uh, more time than I think I had planned because it got a v- it, it got some visceral reactions out of all three of us. But Ola Kamara would be a great addition to this team and is worth whatever, uh, you know, it, it worth parting with some significant assets to get. I think we all agree on that. Whether DC United's front office agrees on with that is another story. But Striker is a position where the team needs some help, even if, Patrick Mullins goes back to that end of 2016 form and Darren Maddox proves to be a a good spot starter and substitute Jason, even if that's the case, you still probably want another guy in there.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a question mark hanging over both of United strikers at this point. Um, you know, Mullins, we've seen the best of him. We've seen the worst of him. Um, I feel like, um, we're definitely going to, we're never, we're not going to see the extreme again. Uh, it's going to be somewhere in the middle, um, but somewhere in the middle in that regard is, uh, you know, solid, but not necessarily the kind of strike the the kind of striker level of play that is sort of required at this point in the Eastern Conference. Um, if you look around at the teams that made the playoffs, they all had um, someone performing at, at, you know, a pretty good level. Uh, it's It's just, the league is advancing to the point that you need that next step up. Um, Darren Maddox, uh, I mean, he started for Portland in their playoff uh, hunt because Fernando Adi was hurting and he did fairly well, but um, you know, every team that's looked at him as their main striker has come up lacking. They've come up short because he's never been that precise of a finisher. Um, So between the two of them, you've got some solid options, and solid depth, certainly, but you need that top guy, and we've known this you know at the end of the season. we knew this we knew that they would probably add someone else that turned out to be Maddox, and then they would need that one more player who's up and above uh Mullins um and that's where we are um you know the good news is that the signings don't really tend to happen uh in this in this league, and especially with this team. Until you know February, so we're in mid January there's still time for them to put something together um, but yeah, uh I think they need to find kind of a happy medium between Mullins's style of play and Maddox's style of play where um you've got that hold up play and that you know Mullins has always been a pretty decent passer. It doesn't really get talked about a lot, but he's a pretty sharp passer when he has to lay the ball off to other people. You want all of those things um but he's not that fast and Maddox is. And so if you could combine those, those, the ability to do all of that uh, in one player, then you'd, you'd really be in business. Um, When I look around the East, I look at, you know, Nemanja Nikolic won the golden boot. David Villa almost won the golden boot. Sebastian Giovinco's in the East. Josie Altador's in the East. Bradley Wright Phillips has a long track record of scoring 15 something goals. Ola Kamara has two straight 15 goal seasons
0: um
1: Kyle Aaron's no yeah, just about to leave Dom Dwyer is in the east uh though I don't know if Orlando knows what to do with him but that's a different problem Joseph it's Martinez even, <laughs> see, yeah Joseph Martinez is a um, you know it, it, of all the players that came in last year I think Martinez might be the ideal um if you take out his injuries the ideal for what kind of player DC mm-hmm. United needs to look at um but uh all those guys are in the east um I even have to start thinking about the west so um that's the kind of goal scoring punch that you realistically you need at this point to compete in this conference because we're now in the good conference and um it's not the best time to be trying to play catch up um you have to catch up pretty quickly to get there so um they've got to find i mean i we haven't even mentioned CJ Sapong for example who is also one the only useful player of the Philadelphia him and him and Madunian and uh and Andre Blake it's the three of them and just a bunch of dudes um, but yeah, um, you know, you don't want to be the team in the East that can't match those players. And right now there's a good reason for DC United fans to be like, well, hold on a second. Where's our guy? Um, but I would just ask, you know, I offer the reminder that usually these signings don't come until February. Um, so if we're at February 15th and we're still like, Hey, where's our guy? Then maybe start to worry.
0: Yeah. Stephen Goff did have a piece this weekend, um, Basically pointing out that DC United is going to open camp without uh, that top line uh, or front line acquisition from this winter, and that you know it would be nice to have that player already on the roster, but Luto Acosta didn't join until February uh, a couple of years ago. E- even around the league, Bastian Schweinsteiger didn't join until February or even March last year. Um, the, these acquisitions tend to happen later and later. That said, um, there, there are more names available in the summer when European contracts generally end, but unless DC United already has a signed pre-contract with somebody coming out of contract um, this, this summer, I would prefer Ola Kamara to, or, or, you know, a, a guy in, now i it like jason said these acquisitions don't tend to happen until after preseason has begun but if dc united is looking at waiting until the summer i'm i'm certainly going to be disappointed
2: rubio rubin is apparently in no discussions with mls no i don't really want him either I need, i want someone more proven
0: i want someone who can score goals to play forward <laughs> And Rubio Ravine might prove to be that guy. He might just be snake bit with injuries, okay. but I don't really want snake bit with injuries right now I mean, either. Just,
1: just to throw it out there. Um, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page and it has him listed with, during his time with FC Utrecht, 41 appearances, three goals. Um, As a four, That's not a good return. In um, the, in one also, of the highest scoring leagues in Europe. Um, I'm sure a lot of those were just substitute appearances, but still, it's not a great look. Um, also he's five nine. Um, so he's not really the ideal center forward for a DC United, uh, that tends to play the ball in the air maybe more than we would like, but that, you know, at the same time, you've got to build your team to the reality of, of how you play. And one thing you don't do is say like, all right, let's get a short guy and play him alone up front and see what happens. Because if you guys remember last year around this time, we uh were talking about a five foot nine forward signed, and his name was Jose Ortiz, and now he's not on the team anymore um
2: man, I had already forgotten about
1: nope him. still still should be fresh in your memory uh as an example of what not to do um so yeah, Rubin being a free agent is nice, and the fact that he's in the u s national team pool is nice, but he's not the guy for d c united as far as his style of play. Meshing with this team. I don't think he would start over Mullins or Maddox, quite frankly. So there you go.
0: Yeah. The other position that DC United is is pretty thin on, and this is another exercise and understatement, is outside back. The fullback position is pretty bare. There's, there's a, a starter at each side of the field, and that's it. There's no natural backups to taylor kemp or nick DeLeon, who by the way is a recent conversion to the position uh i still you still can't really say that he's a natural fullback no i didn't say he was a natural fullback i said he was a starter and there's no natural backup yeah, see I choose, not, I choose my words carefully. i choose my carefully
2: i was also using the royal you to y'all
0: <laughs> <sighs> i choose not to listen carefully
2: uh but yes, it's it it's it's not great, Bob. I mean we need the team needs some fullbacks. Like two at least two, maybe three. And and let's be clear, um
1: it shouldn't just be signing some dudes that could be bodies on the roster who are like, okay, this is a person that has played fullback at some level. Um Although at this I, yeah, point,
2: that's
0: that that's where no, it's we, looking.
1: It looks like that's where it's going. That would be a pretty bad outcome because last year's don't I, forget. The defense was just as bad as the attack, and this yeah. team needs I wanna... to improve the defense. And so, the fullbacks at the very least need to be like if De leon and Camp aren't having Camp aren't having to seriously compete with somebody, then that's a letdown.
2: No, I, I would like a signing that is on on either side. Doesn't matter that sh- that would be a. Uh, the favorite to start over Kemp or De Leon uh, coming in and then they would have to right. claw their way back if they were going to be starting on opening day. Yeah,
1: I mean that's that's a completely reasonable thing to uh, demand. I know that um, back right at the – I guess that maybe it was even back in December um, when there was the rumor going around that Anton Timmerholm uh, from Malmo was going to sign with an MLS club. Uh, As a site, we were kind of talking like, is this going to be us? This sounds an awful lot like something we'd do. Um, It's a guy that we've played against multiple times because we play Malmo every single season, every single preseason. It turned out, you know, right. Uh, There will be coming up there. I mean, that game isn't that long, uh, long off. Um, But yeah, uh, he would have been a really good sign. He's someone that he was the best defender in Sweden's top flight He's got, I think, seven caps and they're not old caps that he got when he was like just breaking through. Um, But he's going to NYCFC. But yeah, um, Ben's completely right that at least one of the fullback positions needs to be upgraded, if not both. Um, And I'm, if anything, I'm I'm as worried about that as I am about signing a big striker because there is a chance that Mullins regains his old form and and at that point then i'm not really that worried about striker um but you can't do anything about having literally no fullback you we have one natural fullback and one utility guy who has settled in as a right back uh for the foreseeable future and that is really it after that we're on center backs filling in uh or like weird experiments like i know i wrote on the site about the prospect of trying chris dirk in there and it was mostly based on um what happened with Perry Kitchen? Where it was like, we know you're not a right back, but we got to get you on the field somehow. Um, but that's right. The, the situation
0: is so dire. There are commenters on Black and Red United suggesting Ian Harks, who I right. think no. played anything but central midfield since he was three months old, that, that he'd be run out at right back just to see what happens. Like that's how okay. dire the situation is right. at fullback right now. There's no reason for Ian Harks to play fullback, right. but. People are throwing ideas at the wall right now.
1: Well, I mean, the thing that's really alarming is that the only the only idea of anyone we even have coming in on trial is we're all pretty sure that Chris O'Dowdacham will be invited back. Um, that was what was said when he wasn't retained, but also that whole situation was weird to begin with um, because, generally speaking, you just roll that option over and move on, and they didn't even do that. So. Um, right. That's not a ringing endorsement of, of from the club towards him. I think the club underrates him. But the club, if if D'Souza had really thought what I think of Chris Oduyasham, there wouldn't we wouldn't have gone through the whole weird situation. There would be at least two possible right backs on the roster already. Um, but yeah, if that's the whole scene, if it's okay, we've got Camp and De Leon and we've got Oduyasham trying to win himself a contract, and that's it. That's. I mean, I guarantee that's not it. I'm sure they've got other people coming in, but you do start to wonder about um, the ability to put all that together um, because I also don't think, uh, going back to last week's show, I don't think they're going to end up with a fullback from the draft because, one, there, there aren't that many this year. Last year, there were a bunch of right backs. This year, there aren't really that many. And the other thing is, if you're picking third, you're not taking one of those guys. Um, so to get – into a position where taking a fullback makes some sense would involve a series of deals that is impossible to predict. So um, something's got to, something's got to give. And also, you know, we've already mentioned the international spot uh, conundrum. So it's not going to be most likely it's not going to be a uh, international fullback coming in. But then when you look at the domestic fullbacks available, it's slim pickings. So they have to do something and they don't have a lot of options. Yeah. I mean, something's got to happen now or something's got to give. I mean we, we're we're into the we're in we're close enough where it looks more like United will have to trade within MLS to get a fullback that's already on a roster somewhere else someone that's already a known quantity um rather as long
2: as we're as long as we're rating Columbus can we get Harrison Awful
1: that I would be I, as long as I mean he might he might be another international I don't know if he got a green card or not right yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but yeah um a player like Harrison Awful would be great um But, uh, you know, there are other guys, you know, it it occurred to me that United might be interested in rehabbing uh, Keegan Rosenberry, who was brilliant in 2016 and then couldn't get on the field for last year's union. Uh, And it was for good reason. It wasn't like he, you know, got drunk and showed up to practice hungover. It was because he was playing soccer badly for a long time. Um, But, you know, we've we're already talking about trying to get a bounce back season out of Mullins. I don't think we're going to get a bounce back season out of Mullins and then also acquire a player that has been basically at the ceiling and at the floor of MLS at his position in, in a two year span somehow. I don't understand that one at all. Um, yeah, like fullbacks are kind of in short supply around the league. Um, it's not great to be in that scenario where like we really need fullbacks and everyone else is like, yeah, so do we. Um, That's not
0: a comfortable situation. It's not a market you want to be competing in necessarily right now. Uh, But here we are, and we'll see what happens. Because like we said, preseason starts next week. Players report to camp next week before before our next episode, in fact. Uh, I don't know how much info we'll have about preseason outside of what we learn at the draft, but... It'll, it'll be happening and in two weeks we'll have even more information so things start happening very quickly um, starting next week so we're going to take advantage of this week's slowness after the break to throw some tactical ideas against the wall and you know see what sticks so stick around this is filibuster Hey Ben um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment would you? You can tell uh- me
2: Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you, I mean, is our goats hostile?
0: Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But, but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or, or do something else oh, nefarious, you are. In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia.
2: I, I do. It's the Ehrlich
0: Law Office. agenda for, for this segment is completely blank, below the top line. I just have tactical spitballing in the new year. That's it. So, last year, DC United switched into a 4-2-3-1 uh, partway through the year, really to stop the, the bleeding on defense. Give their their central midfield a little bit more help in covering uh, and shielding the, bl- the back line, which was not playing well. Uh, was, DC United was a sieve for goals last year. And it, and
1: it was an in-game switch, too. Um, it was at Atlanta. Yeah. They were like, we have to switch this now. Um, and go it worked forward. in that game. It did. And then they went forward. I mean, they were giving up fewer chances, but were still bad.
0: Yeah. Part of the part of the badness was that they, they couldn't hang on to the ball. No matter what they tried to do, no matter what they did, it was just the team didn't fully understand each other and, and gave away the ball too easily without, you know, if you're giving away the ball during uh, an attack, that's one thing, you know, you're trying something and it just didn't come off. But these were basic passes in midfield that would result in turnovers that sometimes led to breaks the other direction. Um, Sometimes they would just be entry passes into the final third that, that went badly, not a real, you know high leverage attack attacking pass, if that makes any sense, but just a uh, putting a guy into position to maybe do something down the line, even those passes weren't coming off, so this was a team that was unable to even last year uh hopefully that changes with with some of the new personnel we saw saw it change a little bit towards the end of last year when d c United started to play out of the back a little bit more. Um, and started to build through midfield which was which was a nice thing to see just to see that club actually exist in their bag um coming into this season Jason what do you think the the default formation will be for Ben Olsen because we've talked here a lot about the 4141 that worked so well at the end of 2016 and so badly at the beginning of 2017 then you have the 4231 Ben Olsen has always tried some variant of 442 uh Throughout his years, so what do you think the default will be at this point having no knowledge of what happens in preseason
1: uh, right now I would say I expect four two three one to be slightly ahead of four one four one and, yeah. and it, a lot of that hinges on how canals and junior moreno um, or and or uh, Ulis isgura how those guys work together um, because we know the basics we know that Paul Ariel is going to be out on the right wing i think it's fair to expect Zoltan Stieber to be very firmly uh ensconced in the starting lineup we know Lucho Acosta is going to be starting as a number 10 um and there aren't that many forwards so we know it's going to be a, a lineup with one center forward um so that really hems you in um especially when you throw in that uh Stieber can't play as a wing back so you're you're ruling out uh, to get those players all on the field, you're ruling out a back three at this point. Um, Jason, don't don't cut off an entire line of conversation like we that. Can, we can still get to it, but I'm saying that if you guys, if if our listeners, if you're pushing for a 3-5-2, you're starting Kofi Opare over Zoltan Stieber is what you're eventually going to run into. Um, but yeah, uh, the central midfield, how that relationship works, you know, the scouting reports that I've read about Moreno are that he might be more of a natural number six than Knauss. Um And so then it becomes, you know, is Knauss, uh cut out to be an eight in a four, two, three, one, or is he more comfortable playing maybe a little further forward um, where he'd be more, his starting position would be alongside Lucho. Um, that's uh, an open question. It's also a question of, um, Segura can play four different midfield positions. Where is he going to actually slot in? Um, I was surprised when Dave Casper said they were thinking of him first as more what sounded much more like a number eight than anything else. I was surprised by that because I thought of the four that he can play, that was his last – that was last on the list. Um, But if they're looking at him seriously as a number eight, then you've got one more reason to – spend a lot of time out of four two three one or out of four one four one. I think if Segura is the number eight, I'm more likely to think of it as a four one four one, but I think um it might be a, a more of a fluid situation there. Um 'cause I I've gotten the sense that Olsen's not really that concerned with how the numbers line up when you try and describe it to somebody. He's more line, he's more worried <clears throat> worried about the roles that each player has. Um yeah. But, you know, a lot of that is going to come down to, you know, that first week or so, how the players start to build their relationships and what they look like uh, is best uh, as a group. Um, you know, we don't know. For all we know, you know, the bad case scenario would be something like Kanaos can only play as a six and Moreno can only play as a six and Segura can't play as an eight. Um, and then all of a sudden you've got um, and you basically I mean, good. The good news is they're very deep there. Um, but you've still then got to repair uh, the situation that we discovered last season, which is where Ian Harks is a very talented player, but the team struggled to keep goals off the board when he was on the field. Um, so they, they've got a lot to learn about uh, the whole group, but it does hinge, I think, on how those pieces fit together best. But I. I I feel like it's going to come down to two very similar looks. It's just a matter of does the number eight play alongside Lucho or does he play alongside Canales?
0: That does have knock on effects on Lucho's positioning as well. If, yeah. if there are two deep lying midfielders um, in, in a 4-2-3-1, that allows him to potentially push a little bit higher as opposed to a 4-1-4-1 where he, he's maybe a little bit deeper alongside another central midfielder. And, I, I honestly I, don't know where he's best. Whether he's better closer to goal as a starting point or, or coming from a little bit deeper.
2: Or you uh, do a 3 4 3 to get uh, uh, all those central midfielders in and uh, Stieber and Areola on the field and Lucia.
0: Well, the... okay, Is so you're Stieber putting. playing as a forward? You're putting him as yeah. Stieber, Stieber as a wide forward and.
2: Stieber, Stieber, nine, and Areola as the wide forwards. Uh, Kanaus and Moreno and Lucho and Segura in the midfield, and then three. Your wingbacks? No, no wingbacks. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Barcelona <laughs> 3 4 3. three. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there is there is a variation there where um, you could play, and Columbus kind of did this last season where um, they they would, for United, it would be Lucho and Eber playing as two underneath. A striker, um, and then you play that your line of four, and so you're kind of playing three six one. Um, but Columbus yeah. did; they were effective with that. The difference being that um, I think they had a little more speed up front. I mean, if we're playing Acosta and Stieber underneath of Mullins, we can't really play on the break because there's no one that's going to break through in that front line. Um, but yeah, um, there are ways to get the group on the field, and I mean. If Ben Olsen comes out and wants to play a um that three, four, two, one is what I would call it, um, I would be very surprised. Um yeah, that would, I would be too. Uh that would catch me off guard. Um though I will say that at least with, with Ariola, the fact that he's played as a winger and as a wing back, um, that at least helps on the right. Um you still wind up looking at Kemp or De Leon and having no depth uh at wing back, which if you're gonna play wing backs, you better have some deck. No
2: wing um, backs. Uh,
1: three
2: th- three center backs, a shield of three uh central midfielders, Lucho, and three forwards. Are we gonna change the de the, the
1: dimensions at uh Audi Field to be like a fifty yard um
0: Yeah, I, feel I like the Some of the news we didn't talk about last uh last segment was um former Houston assistant and uh, Portland coach John Spencer has been hired as the groundskeeper at Audi Field. And that means the pitch will be as small as FIFA allows.
2: No, it's it's a little known fact, but uh, Audi Field is actually going to hold three futsal courts inside the stadium and they're just going to play it on futsal courts.
1: So teams are going to show up not knowing this. I guess we have to keep tricking them. At, like you can get away with it against Vancouver, but then the next week you've got to come up with like, no, 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 guys, this time a real
0: field. And then
1: so ah, it's so course. <laughs> there's and a then, there's
0: a bar there's a bar at Purdue. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to mention the name of it. That is famous among people older than 21 for their birthday shots. And there's this code that manages to somehow survive that you don't tell people who aren't allowed into bars. And in Indiana and college towns, you have to have two forms of photo ID with your name on it to get into any bar in a college town. So you're not using a fake ID or if you are, it has to be a really good, really expensive fake. So by and large, you're not going to a bar until you're, you're actually 21. You're drinking somewhere else. So people on their 21st birthday go to this bar and um, the bartender finds out it's their birthday and makes them a birthday shot. And what they don't know is it is the meanest, worst, most disgusting shot the bartender can think of in that particular moment, whether that's pepper schnapps and hot sauce or, or some other concoction. Uh, it, it's a birthday shot at this bar is well-known rite of passage. And somehow Nobody under 21 or very few people under 21 actually know about this. We need to figure out how to do the same thing with the futsal courts that this bar does with that.
1: It's, it's going to be tough, given that DC is now on national TV a bunch of times, unlike previous years.
0: Yeah, that, that does bribe, make it more we difficult. We bribe
1: the folks from ESPN and Fox Sports uh, to uh, play along. Like, no, no, this field is definitely full-sized. Um, so...
0: ESPN is always subject to blackout, <laughs> <laughs> which takes us back to drinking at this bar. Uh, one thing I want to talk about with the, the various flavors of four man backline that that Ben Olson can run out is the, the fun. It's not symmetry, but the, the fun balance between the left and the right uh, as far as width goes. Um, on the left, you have Taylor Kemp, a a classic kind of fullback who wants to overlap, stay wide, and hit crosses in. And then on the and that's paired with a uh, a wide midfielder in Zoltan Stieber who likes to get inside and get into the box, into goal scoring positions or or at least positions to combine with the forward and with the the midfield. On the right, you have Paul Ariola, a a classic attacking winger who starts high and wide and stays high, high and wide and Nick de Leon, who has played every midfield position there is now playing fullback and he wants to cut inside and combine, which is actually pretty similar to Sean Franklin at that position. So you have an overlapping fullback and an underlapping fullback there and, and wingers that, or, or outside midfielders anyway, that, that work well at least in theory with with those styles and it it strikes me as an interesting um an interesting thing to watch going into this year is just stylistically how united plays on either uh touchline
1: yeah i think there might be a little more variability on the right than on the left assuming that we aren't you know signing ex a bunch of fullbacks that end up starting um because i think uh ariola can cut inside and De Leon is going to have to play off of him and let him sort of lead, which I think kind of plays towards De Leon's strengths. I think he's good at playing off of somebody else and letting them take the lead. I think maybe that's one of the issues he had in the midfield was that he never really took charge himself. But in this situation, that could be a good thing. Um, On the left, I think it's going to be a more consistent look. I think Kemp is going to mostly stay wide and I think Stieber is mostly going to be drifting inside. So it's there's going to be um, two different balances that have to be struck. Um, right. We're always talking about Kemp,
0: tendencies, not every instance. Yeah. yeah, uh, the, yeah. And, this is how it's going to play out. It's it's more tendencies we're talking yeah, about. Yeah,
1: yeah, And, you know, the I think the consistency on the left side might be very good for the early part of the season because Kemp and Stieber know – that that's what they're, up, or at least, you know, Kemp knows about Schieber. Schieber didn't actually get to play with Kemp very much because his uh, hip injury ended up, uh, I don't know that they were actually on the field together uh, more than once or twice before Kemp uh, un- went under the knife. Um, but there's still plenty of tape uh, that they've got available to each other that where they can look at each other and say, okay, um, I'm starting to pick up on what you're about and how you like to go about your business. So um, the fact that it's more of a straightforward, um, and consistent way uh, approach on that side is good. I think on the other side, De Leon and, uh, Areola are both perfectly capable of figuring out that balance. And the good news is that they have played together quite a bit already. Um, so they've had, they've got those reps. So they, I think they've got a higher degree of difficulty in what they're trying to do on the right side. But I also think they're ahead of the curve because they've got, you know, almost, I think it was 11 game. And De Leon played a lot on the left during that time, but, we're looking at least a handful of games and a few months of practice where they were working on these things uh, on the same side of the field. So I, I expect them to be able to, to put it together um, to a decent degree. And and I would expect also that um, when United looks at fullbacks, that might be something they're looking at is um, that, you know, finding somebody who is sort of similar to De Leon rather than finding a pure old school stand on the touchline and run up and down and that's it kind of right fullback. Um, So we'll, we'll see. I mean, they are kind of, as we already said, they're running so close to the season that it might just be, let's find a good fullback. And that's that. um, And we'll just have to make it work rather than finding the exact perfect fit.
0: What else do you guys want to throw at the wall tonight? Ben, what's something that, that you're paying attention to tactically for DC United as the season gets going? Um, other than a three-man backline, no-wing-back formation.
2: I mean, obviously. Uh, no, I obviously <laughs> don't think that's actually going to happen. Uh, I mean, we've mentioned it a little bit, but I really want to see... I, I think it all comes down to the central midfield and how Ben Olsen decides to uh, arrange that central midfield and everything else will echo out from there. And even digging down a little further where he decides to put Lucho Acosta. Um I think a 4-3-3 style could be very successful with this group. I mean, it's not that different from uh, a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-1-4-1, but I think with the uh, strength that they have in midfield going into this season, uh, giving Paul Areola and Zoltan Stieber as little defensive responsibilities as possible and putting that on Canales and Moreno, for example, uh, would help free up the attack even more uh, than last year and hopefully lead to some goals. So just the alignment of the central midfield is going to be where I'm keying in throughout this uh, preseason.
0: One thing that that comes to mind is the the role that this massive road trip, um, interrupted by two, quote, home games. United is going to play, what is it, 12 of their first 14 on the road before they, they can move down to buzzard point. Jason, what, what effect tactically does that have on the team? I MLS has a really outlier home field advantage in, in world soccer. The, the home field advantage is really strong in MLS. Um, so with DC United fighting against that so many times in the first half of the season. Do you think that their the team is going to come out, you know, one way at the beginning of the season and then try to evolve as this season progresses and they actually get some home games or I, I guess just what are your thoughts on the role that this road trip is going to have?
1: Um, I think it's going to dominate preseason prep. Um, the idea that they've got to be able to defend first and foremost, I think, um, we're going to see more of an emphasis on that side of the ball and staying organized, staying compact as a group, uh, tra- transitioning defensively. Um, I think it's no accident that they went out and signed uh, another center back who's known for being good in the air. Um, Briant was NYCFC's leader in all of those uh, metrics last year. Um, and the idea is going to be like, we're going to have to sit deep a lot during the early part of the season which means getting compact and forcing other teams to hit crosses and then having to defend those crosses. Um, last year, DC wasn't very good defending inside their own box. They're going to have to be much better at that. Um, and I think part of that too is going to be if they can force teams to pump crosses in, um, there is a decent chance that Burnbaum and Briant are going to be able to defend well enough. And that's another, thats a partnership that has to get going quickly because we have to assume that, they're going to be the starters. If if we come out of preseason and um, Burnbaum hasn't, you know, if he finds himself uh, still no better than Kofi Oparre, or if it's still unclear which one is better, as it was last year, then uh, it's going to be a long year in the back because this team needs those guys to elevate their game too. Um, and we know which player has the higher ceiling. Um, but yeah, I think there is going to be a big emphasis on forcing teams to play into the teeth of that defense and. Uh, relying on the fact that they're going to be able to win those aerial battles more often than not by a a comfortable margin, they should be able to. Um, And uh, yeah, I I think it's going to be a more defend and counter approach than um, maybe we saw last year um, and less of a front foot approach than we saw at the back half of 2016. Um, I also think there might be some I think there's a chance that we're going to see, you know, we've we've seen a couple quotes hinting at um a different system or a different way of doing things. Um I think maybe we might see a little more tactical variability for one off games. Um if anyone watched the MLS playoffs, you saw a few teams uh change what they do uh pretty pretty dramatically and it, it paid dividends. Um New York, the New York Red Bulls came very close to putting Toronto FC out of the playoffs, and it all came down to um, a formation switch that was designed mostly to neutralize Bradley. And United might be in a situation where they're like, we need to pick up a point here and there, um, to the extent that it's where it's worth making a one-game switch. To the, you know, you might have Ben Olson might be managing uh, some egos there. He might say that. Today, Lucho's got to sit out because we need a different thing. Uh, you know, we need to have um, maybe it'll end up being two eights uh, ahead of a six, something like that. Um, so we might see some wrinkles that weren't there before, because if this road trip carries on and they aren't getting results here and there, um, that starts to hit morale. It starts to just lower everybody's game across the board and you end up sort of repeating uh, 2017. Um We've seen DC United not get rolling early and struggle a bunch of times under Ben Olsen. It's not to say that they have to get rolling early to be any good, but they can't be really bad in those first couple of months. They, they, they seem to be able to be, you know, not great, but okay. And then grow from there. That's something they've done. But if they've just been really bad uh, from the get go, then that just sort of sticks. And so, um, finding a way to gut out results and it might just be, you know, it might come down to like, okay, today uh, we're going to have to play five four one for this game uh, because we need to find a way to walk out of here with a point so just so, you know, we can look at ourselves in the mirror when we get back to our homes and say like, okay, we're not on a team that just got, you know, lost three in a row or four in a row um, it might come down to that because the road trip it it isn't that daunting, but it does have that that little possibility of it just derailing the whole season before it even gets going.
0: Yeah, we, I think we've talked about it on, on this show. Um, Teams that have survived these road trips, even, you know, by the skin of their teeth and even with a big enough hole that, that some pundits were counting them out have really come roaring back with the, the homestand that is the, the flip side of, of that coin. Uh, Kansas city had one of, you know, one, their first year of real prominence when they moved into, to sporting park came after a long road trip. And that team had some strong fundamentals for sure. And same for Toronto and their many road trips involving BMO field construction, but they survived the road trip and then made the homestand count. And that's got to be the model for DC United this year. So I, I think you're right that the, you know, the reason I asked the question is because I think, that the road trip will dictate dictate tactics um, at least at the beginning of the year. And then we'll see who DC United really are uh, come that, that homestand and hopefully they're not in so deep of a hole that it's insurmountable going back to the, the lack of news at the the forward position. I wonder how much the road trip plays into that because you don't want to go out and, it's hard, I guess, I, I should say, to go out and draw a big name forward in with the promise of 12 of 14 games away from home to start his tenure here. I, I don't know that that's involved in the decision making uh, for the player or the team, but it's something that, that popped into my head and I thought it was worth mentioning. Any other yeah, spaghetti? I, 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 oh, I, go ahead.
1: Uh, I I was going to say, I, I don't think that's going to come up too much in that process, especially when you're also able to offer, um, look, we built this new stadium. We're building a training ground. Um, these are things that are actually tangible. It's not just a promise. It's a like, look, this is going to happen. Um, it's happening. Like we can take you down to see the place if you want. Um, those, those things I think are going to be a bigger factor than the schedule for one year. Um, I I feel like if there were a player that DC United was interested in and that was the schedule was enough to put them off then I would be a little put off of that player um because that's kind of an indicator like maybe you're yeah, not fair. as committed as I'd like to as I'd like to see. Um I guess the other thing that I would bring up is um you know since people have talked about you know, I, I sort of brought up the 352 and, and cut it off but um it is going to come up a lot this year I think because TFC has now succeeded quite a bit playing out of that formation um and this is sort of sick uh, cyclical we've had our several years of um uh 4231 being the dominant formation 433 has become a lot more popular um and so you start to anticipate um the formations have kind of reached that end game where it's now just cycles back and forth rather than uh anything particularly new i mean the three four uh two one that we talked about earlier isn't new um it started really started coming into prominence in the early nineties and then it went away and now it's coming back again um if d c wanted to play a three five two um I think one thing they would have to get around is the fact that Stieber can play wide left in the four two three one because he can drift inside, but he's not a wing back um could he play so that have to second start the forward. Order. Well that's what I'm thinking is like if he or Lucho became a second forward and I, I know we talked a lot when Lucho arrived that he's not a second forward uh because the United was playing four four two. Um but that's what you that's the kind of the issue you end up is maybe Stieber can do it um instead of Lucho and maybe there's positional flexibility between those two where they're sort of um fungible and who's the forward in a given moment. Um but that's the you know, that's the kind of problem you have to tackle if you want to do it full-time however as a one-off um or as an in-game adjustment i would like to see some evidence that um united has that sort of card to play um because i think last year we saw a lot of the 4-2-3-1 isn't working and so the move is just to sub somebody in that plays the same position or maybe to switch the wingers and that's it um or to go from mullins to deshorne brown and say like okay well our target guy isn't working. So let's get someone that runs in
0: behind and see what happens. Um, If only Deshaun Brown actually was good at running in behind.
1: That was a a different problem. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, it would be interesting to me to see United develop a more consistent and applicable uh, alternate plan. Uh, TFC, for example, played three, five, two for most of the year, but how did they win MLS cup? They switched to a diamond, uh, and it ended up helping them dominate that game. Um, granted they dominated Seattle playing three, five, two the year before, but still,
0: um, Toronto's three, five, two, I think it's worth noting too, is, is different than the, the three, four, one, two you generally think of with two defensive, more defensive midfielders and then a, an out and out number 10 behind two forwards, uh, Toronto's midfield shape was much more like a a four three three, the upside down triangle in midfield with Bradley behind two true right central midfielders rather than a number ten. So is even though you and, know, and well,
1: the thing is they they did have that flexibility where there right. were games where Victor Vasquez basically played up there and they played somebody else closer to Bradley. Right. They um, they can do, but yeah, exactly. most of the time, most of the time they they did go with more of a. Um, You'd almost want to call it 3-1, 4-2 at times, Mm -hmm. um, the way that they made it actually work. Um, But uh, the possibility of United having to play it once in a while and manage the egos that might be bruised from not playing, um, uh, that could be there. I mean, if you put together Segura, Moreno, and Canales, and let's let's assume for the sake of argument that Segura and Moreno both do well and are successes in MLS – if you put together that midfield trio, um, then, you know, you could get away with um, trying something else and trying a 3 5 2 four a game. Maybe um, Lucho's unavailable for whatever reason. Maybe Stieber's called up by Hungary. Um, so, you know, there are possibilities there that didn't exist. And, and, you know, now that I've said that, it also occurs to me that you could also look at 4-3-3. Um, especially with Darren Maddox, who is probably at his best playing as a wide forward. And there's not too much of a difference playing 4-3-3 from how United has played in the past. It's just a little bit further forward for some of those wide players and a little more of a, a tighter midfield triangle. Um, but it's on the board. Um, they don't necessarily have an ideal uh, right forward. I think uh, Ariola would be that guy, but I think he's – tends to stay wide a little too much um but i still think you could cause some damage deploying him and maddox across from each other and i it's something i want to see more of and it was you know you mentioned um or i mentioned and you mentioned uh and brown um one of my main frustrations with his time with the team was that we never saw him play as a left winger cutting in um and darren maddox has that exact same thing where he's a forward who also does really well slashing in from the left and making he's a left midfielder in defensive situations, but he's almost a second forward when you get close to the attacking third. Um, I want to see some of that. I want to see if United's going to play 4-2-3-1, I want to see Maddox and Mullins playing at at the same time with, you know, Maddox playing as that left winger. Um, and we know that Olsen makes, he tends to make that kind of sub where, um, one of his wingers usually gets subbed out. One of his strikers usually gets subbed out in any given game. Um, that's generally what he does to get just fresh legs and, and to change things up, um, which is all well and good. But I don't want to see Maddox for Mullins over and over again. I want to see a situation where maybe Maddox comes in for Steber or Acosta and then maybe 10 or 15 minutes later, then you say, OK, I'm going to bring in. Segura for Mullins, and then you go to Maddox up front. Um, right. That was one thing. Don't
0: just be like. Go ahead. That was one thing that, that Greg Vanny did a, a really good job on throughout the playoffs, but especially in MLS Cup. Every sub was a tactical change as well. There was no straight like for like in in his game plan. Everything was was an adjustment. And that's something you can do with better players. Um, right. But it also requires some some level of better and more before versatile
1: players. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, you do need to come in with a, a, a clear idea of a game script and you also need to be, you know, it's, it's a balance shift to hit because you want a, you know, you want to have an idea and say, okay, around this time, we're going to make this sub and then we're, and then we're going to switch back um, with our second sub. It's going to be just a, a we're going to shift things for a phase of the game and then go back to what we were doing before um, or go to plan C, but you also need to go in able to roll with the punches if you know you have an injury exactly. and you lose one of those subs and now your script is out the window you need to also have something in place for what happens then um but yeah i would i would overall i think the main thing the main point i would hit there is just i want to see more variability in the subs because olsen has in the, not in 2017 obviously but in in 2016 quite a bit um was really good at using his bench to change games and i think there is I think that's one of his – something that he considers a strength of his is being able to use – not not just look at a game as 11 players, but looking at it as 14 um, and look at each sub as something really consequential and not just like, well, I'm sending this guy out and I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and in 2016, we saw the fruits of that. I mean, Lamar Nagel ended up leading the team in goals despite spending most of the season as a substitute. Um, there were a lot of game-changing subs being played, and, and some of it was just – fresh legs fast guy goes out there for someone that that is tiring but some of it too was like let's play nagel up front and have him run in behind rather than play out on the wing things little things like that um but i'd like to see him i'd like to see olsen get back to that and also grow from that point and start to make his subs be a little more uh you know a little more consequential a little more pieces moving around uh, just you know something to give the team an advantage they don't have because they're going to have to find every little advantage they can to get, you know, they don't want to walk on the field against Vancouver Whitecaps on July 14th. They don't want to walk into that game with like eight points and needing to run the table at home. Um, They need to walk into the field there where they're not dead last and, and
0: completely lost. Right. They need to have a pulse at that point in the year. Um, so one, I, my scribbling while, while you were talking, and I know you mentioned a, a three, six, one earlier in the show. Was that in the context of a three, four, two, one? I don't remember.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was basically the same, the same idea as just uh have, have those two Stibby and Lucho yeah.
0: under, under a striker. Cause that, yeah, yeah. that, that seems like something that, that could work. I know that some teams in the, Bundesliga have experimented with that and Christian Pulisic and Dortmund have have played with that where he's Antonio
1: Conte has has done that too
0: yeah um
1: so it's it's out there right. There
0: are, there's good good game tape available of how it's supposed to work yeah and um, of all the three men backlines, that's the one that all of all the three back systems that's the one that probably makes the most sense with United's roster um sorry to to throw that curveball in slash callback no that's fine but uh no. that was something i i felt like deserved repeating if if it hadn't been right before uh um, no go ahead go ahead no i was i was just gonna say the the,
1: <laughs> the main the main thing is um it, it, the idea there is mostly that Schneber is going to be better than the forwards that are currently on the roster so you'd end up playing three four two one rather than three four one two mm-hmm. um but if you go out and sign a designated player, uh striker that is obviously starting, then maybe you get into like, well, you know, if Mullins is in really good form and the other guy isn't really uh, – it turns out to be a really good signing, then maybe it is uh, going back to the 3-4-1-2 uh,
0: that we saw – we last saw in these parts when Tom Son was around. And even then it won't be the same because Fred is not a wingback. Chris you know, Pontius wingback is, is not a than wingback. Playing
1: Three attacking midfielders underneath two forwards. Yeah.
0: It, <laughs> with three in the back. Man. The mid-aughts were a silly time, and I miss them. Uh no, I don't. I I miss some of them. Some of the time. Uh any other spaghetti you guys want to throw at the wall tonight, or or should we call it a show?
2: I think we've used up all the spaghetti.
0: Listeners, bring us more spaghetti. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening and dining with us and providing the Parmesan. Um, Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you feel like supporting us financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. We obviously greatly appreciate whatever support. You provide, or, you know, honestly, we also appreciate the fact that you're listening at all. Find us on Twitter at Filibuster DCU for the podcast, at Black and Red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, the Internet Archive, wherever podcasts are purveyed, you can find us you know, generally speaking, mostly though, please tell a friend about the show, uh, with the season getting underway. That's how most people find out about us, I think. So, uh, you know, you can do the rating and reviews thing. Um, I I'm realistic enough to understand our niche in the podcasting world. We're probably not going to make the top page at iTunes. If, if you guys can hack the system and make it happen. Awesome. I'll love you for it, but I I think the best way to get the word out is to literally get the word out. Just tell a friend about the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, We'll be back next week with MLS super draft action and preseason previews and who knows what else. Until then, though, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason.
1: See you, people at the draft. Woo!
0: Philly.